You'll have to forgive me if it's not a laughable morning, um, because knowing the wake and the damage and the piles of bodies that lust has left behind, that being in ministry for as long as I have, it covers men, women, and children. And so when we talk about something like this, it's very sobering, and I've seen a lot of faces this week. Knowing that this is a big deal. And statistically, I can believe, and I can almost guarantee that there are a number of you in this room who are prisoners. Right now. And you don't see any freedom in sight. And so my hope this morning is not that you leave feeling good, but that your worship of a Savior would explode. Jesus, I just ask that in this time our hearts would be pierced by your word and that you would stand up really tall this morning And that you'd shut the mouth of the enemy. And know this, those in this room who believe there is no hope. And that they're trapped. And they'll never see the light of day. Would know that your word speaks otherwise. Would you be, would you be glorified? Not just with our lips, but in our hearts today. Amen. You know, I was just thinking about how do you address this in the church? Because the church loves to ignore things like this because we'd rather give you sunshine thoughts to walk away with during the week. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I believe that when we gather together on a Sunday morning, our hearts are to be pierced, the folly of our sin is to be exposed, and the glorious Savior we run to is to be lifted high. And so in this morning, my, my prayer is that there will be a couple of things we'll talk about. Very simply, the power of lust. Some of you in this room have no idea that it has power. The problem with lust, because there's a very real problem with lust, it is not a tiny deal. What lust actually does, and then to answer the question, I hope we're all wondering, is there any rescue from lust? I'm not here to give you a solution. I'm here to present to you a rescuer. Because the solution is we're going to run after the outer things when we'll see Jesus has very different ideas and that we need rescue. Um, you know, this morning, just very simply, lust is the impulsive, sensual desire, specifically defined by our society when it comes to sex. It's this idea that, that I've got to have it now. And it's a, it's, a, it's a desire that is contrary and fighting against the will and the pleasure of God. It directly goes against His plans, His purposes, His thoughts, and His pleasure for us. In the, in the Bible, the word lust actually uh, is a different word, and it can actually be used in a more neutral term. So it's a strong desire. And so in a good sense, it would be the prophet's strong desire to see God move. 
Jesus' strong desire for the kingdom to come, the disciples' strong desire to see the Son of Man, the angels' strong desire to see salvation come. And when it is used in the negative tone in the Scriptures, it heads into lust and covetousness. So there is a difference. But what we see today is lust is described and known mostly for this sexual strong desire that we have. But Scripture also involves power. There is a lusting for power that we see all through the Scriptures that the Lord has to directly deal with. And the word lust would actually be used with power today. I have a power lust. I have a lust for power, for control. And so we see the Scriptures paint a very clear picture of how lust is to be defined. When it ventures into going against the will of God, going against the pleasure of God, you've walked right into lust. And what we see in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and you guys, I hope you'll write all these scriptures down. I hope you will, and I hope you'll go back to them. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. This is what is known as the lust of the flesh. A craving for everything we see. This is what's known as the lust of the eyes. And pride in our achievements and possessions. And this is known as the pride of life. So all three of these things are presented to us. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Verse 17 continues, And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You and I have to understand that lusting, having a strong desire for after the things of this world are opposite and actually working against God. Galatians 5.17 paints it very clearly. The sinful nature wants to do evil. It's not like we kind of go, it's wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I could not see a better description of what it means to be imprisoned by lust than you are not free to do the things that God has called you to do. Lust doesn't just deprive you of these things, but it also keeps you feeling useless. And that you have nothing to offer and that you can't get up. It keeps you exhausted in every area of your life. And sometimes you and I become so comfortable with the things of this world that we begin to okay things that God has said are not okay. And this is the power of lust. You see, the world says lust is not a big deal. Uh, What's wrong with a second look? I mean, how many times does that thought come through your mind? What's wrong with a second look? It's not that big of a deal. It's only in my mind. No one's getting hurt. Do you hear the language? The language is, it's not a big deal. But I would tell you, it all starts with the second look. It starts with a second look at the gym or a second look at, at work. Confiding in a coworker who is not your spouse Visiting a website just one time because you're curious. And when the heart is left unprotected and is not guarded and it's no longer looking, it is hooked into something, that thought becomes a full-blown affair. That thought becomes a sexual encounter outside of marriage. 
what God designed it to be. That thought becomes a need to be at, in front of the computer. I cannot live without it anymore. This is the power of lust. Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. A little lust never hurt. Jesus said it was better for you to lose body parts than to let lust reign. Please don't tell me lust is not a big deal. But he also explains to us where the battle is actually raging. And it's in our heart. Mark chapter 7 verse 20. It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within they are what defile you Jesus doesn't blame society even though society is not working the way it's supposed to Jesus doesn't blame them he doesn't say oh it's these sinners these sinners are gonna lead you to do a bunch of sinful things so you better run away and retreat and live in a monastery and go separate yourself from all society then you'll be fine problem is you can't outrun your heart you cannot outrun yourself you cannot hide from yourself Jesus makes it really clear that the heart is the playground for these desires. And when we ignore the heart, we're destined for trouble. Jesus is saying you always give your heart away before you surrender your body to what is wrong. Your body's just headed where your heart is already gone. I wanted to show you guys a slide that many of us are familiar with. A picture we're familiar with if you've watched cartoons your whole life. Uh, it's the googly-eyed wolf. And, uh, and I was trying to go, how, does this, how do I explain this to my children? I literally was thinking, how do I explain lust to my kids? And I was like, the wolf makes perfect sense. And so what you see here is you see the action, and that's what most people focus on. And we're like, well, if we can just address the action, then everything will be fine. But the problem is you've got two other steps behind the action that have to be gone after. Very fr I mean, the action is there, but it starts with this... This little thing called desire in our heart. And it's the desire going, man, I really want that. That's cool. That'd be cool to have. That'd be, that'd be nice to have. And you start to kind of think on it a little bit in your heart. But then your brain actually starts to devise ways to get it. Your brain starts going, I know how I can get that thing. And the hand is just the response to all this going on. So this, what he's looking at, it may, is not the issue. It's the heart and the mind that have to be dealt with. You see, power and sex are not bad things. God created them good. Did you know that? Sex was meant to be between a man when he leaves his family with his wife, joined to her, one flesh in the marriage bed, honoring it, protecting it. It is the most joyful, wonderful, amazing thing that there is. Try hard. It's really hard for me not to blush when I talk about it, but it's... It's, 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 it, and I will never tell my children that sex is bad. I will tell them how we use it is bad. 
God created sex good. He also created power good. Jesus showed us what power looked like. He said, you know, the world, they kind of wield their power around and lord it over people. But among you, it will be different. You, you, you're going to use your power to serve. It's called meekness, not weakness. It's strength under control. So power and sex are not the problem. Our hearts are the problem. So don't try and blame other things when Jesus says it's the heart that we have to go after. It's the heart we have to deal with. And if we ignore the heart, we're just putting a band-aid on a tumor. And that's the problem. Every wrong sexual act or corrupt grab for control and power is directly connected to a decision that's directly connected to a desire. The desire, this is the playground for desire. James chapter 1 says it this way. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice. Anybody know what entice means? Good, I'm glad you don't, because I'm going to give you the definition. Go ahead and show them the definition. Entice simply means to cause a change of belief so as to correspond more with the beliefs of the person or factor causing the change. Very simple language. When Obi-Wan Kenobi looks at you and says, these are not the droids you're looking for, you say, these are not the droids I'm looking for. When you look at power or sex and power says, you need me, you say, I need you. That's what enticing is. It's actually converting or changing the way you think about this thing to where you are actually agreeing with it and going after it. That's enticing. Now, here's the second part of that verse. You can go back to that verse. It says, which entice us and drag us away. Let's be honest. When we're enticed, we don't have to be drug anywhere, do we? We run right to it. There's no dragging. When I'm enticed, I run at it. I'm not kicking and screaming. I actually choose. I go for it. So when you're enticed, and they, this is what they do, they drag us away. 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Lust is powerful. And it grabs a hold and it, it holds us. And the biggest problem with lust is that it can master our heart. And the Bible makes it really clear that where your heart goes, the direction of your life goes. That's the issue. That's the heart of it in all of this. See, the problem is with this. I told you we talk about the power and the problem. And very simply, the problem is empty promises. The problem is, what we're looking for power and sex to do in our lives, they cannot do. Power and sex cannot save us. Whether you're looking for a false sense of intimacy, or this, this, this need to be wanted or held, or whatever it is, and you're caving and you're giving yourself to these things, it's all because, for some reason, you're missing that Jesus is Savior, not sex. For those of you that are grabbing after power and control and you have to have it, you're missing that Jesus is Savior, not power. This is the problem with lust. Empty promises that I see people running after. I'm tempted to run after when we take our eyes off of Jesus. The heart has been correctly called the affection compass. And when that affection compass gets off due north, headed towards God, we are headed for chaos. And if you combine a heart that is, it is wanting something other than God with a society that has gone sex and power crazy, you are headed for disaster. But we can't blame it on society. 
It's our hearts that have to be first dealt with. Um, very simply, sex and power give you the buzz that you're in control, but you're actually under their control. Sex and power give you this inner sense of well-being, but they have no ability to satisfy the heart. And that's really what we run after, this possibility of finally being satisfied. But they both cause you to envy whoever it is that has more and better than you do. You'll love the short-term buzz that both provide, but you'll hate how short it is. So you'll go back, and before you know it, you've spent way too much time, energy, money on something that can't satisfy But because of what it is briefly done for you, you'll go back. You see, there's, this is the interesting thing about the beginnings of addiction and, and the way things work is, first of all, you, you, you may have one of those moments where you run after something that you're not supposed to and you feel the results and the weight and you're like, well, that's not what I wanted. And so you turn. But the other type, the other personality goes, well, that didn't give me what I wanted the first time. Maybe if I go back the second time, it will. Maybe if I go back the third time, it will. Maybe if I go back the fourth time, it will. Maybe fifth, sixth, seventh. And then you label it a need. And once it's called a need, it's got you. This is the problem. This is the power of lust. We dress it up as something else. But in reality, we've made it a savior. And then it's got you. How lust works, very simply, whether or not you and I like it, we were designed to give glory to God. His plans, His thoughts, His agenda, everything about Him was to be our center, is to be who we are. It's to be where we look to be complete, to be satisfied, for our Savior, all of the above. And we have a glory issue, because we don't like that. The Scriptures make it clear, Colossians chapter 3, and whatever you do or say, do Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, when we think we know better than God, that's when we've begun the glory shift. When we think we know better, we take our eyes off Him and we say, I know it will satisfy more than you. I have big plans, God. They're my plans, not yours. And then the glory shift has begun. What does it mean to glorify God? Very simply, I have a definition for you. To give worth or value or weight to. And this begins in the heart. And I love, I love looking further back into it. To speak of something as being unusually fine and deserving honor unusually fine. Like, when it's so awesome, you just keep talking about it. It's unusual how much people are talking about this thing. Um, there's a clip I want to show you, and I may just cut it off midway through just for time's sake, but uh, go ahead and play this clip. It's from My Crazy Obsession. My name is Margaret, and I'm 53 years old. I live in Morning View, Kentucky, and I'm addicted to stinging myself with bees. I sting myself on my hip, my elbow, on a finger, my ankle, my forehead, on the tip of my nose. The most I've ever given myself was between 15 and 20 in my left hip. 
I really love stinging myself with bees. My name's Teresa. I'm 44 years old. I live in Bedford, Virginia. Pretty day today. And I'm addicted to eating rocks. I don't think I would be able to function every day if I didn't eat some quantity of rock. My name is Centrell. I live in Chicago. I'm 21. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and my addiction is cleaning. Germs just make me sick. I actually just try to clean as much as I can because germs can and will kill you. It's almost like a burning sensation in my fingers. Like, I have to clean. Central cleans, I can't say 24-7 because she sleeps, but it gets out of control. 25-year-old Vanessa Sky Ellis spends every day on the hunt for celebrities. Are you from One Direction? No. If I no? no? And over the past seven years, she's managed to grab over 10,000 autographs and pictures with famous people. I, I'll go after whoever, whenever. That's Mario Cantone. Can I get an autograph, sir, please? Celebrity spotting is the most important thing to me. It's more important than having a boyfriend, than going to work, than doing anything. All For right, some, you can cut it off there. Christmas is more than just Yeah, it just a goes holiday. on and on. I have dreams of fixing lights. How can you look at a gingerbread and not be happy? You can cut it off there. There you go, all right. Obsessed with watching my crazy obsession. But how does someone go from, hmm, rocks, to, hmm, I want to eat that rock. Hmm, I'm going to eat these rocks. Hmm, if you touch my rocks, I'll kill you. How, how does that happen, is the question. And it's what we give glory to begins to take up space in our hearts and in our minds, and our lives reflect it. To continually be thinking on those things. Whatever glory we allow to rule our heart, it'll affect our mind, our desires, our choices, our words, and our behavior. And until we change what we give glory to, there will be no change. Please hear me out. And this is what many theologians from past days have said. We worship our way into sin. The only way out is worship. Do you know that? We worship our way into our addictions. The only way out is worship. In effect, the affection of the heart has to be changed for there to be any lasting change. Struggles with lusting after sex and power, that runs much deeper than just eyes and body parts. Adultery, pornographic addictions, power grabs are simply the body following where the heart has gone. And the heart is always under the rule of something. The question is, will it be the creator or creation that rules your heart? Will it be the creator of the universe, or will it be something that he's created, that he created good, but we turn bad because we give it control and desire of everything? It becomes the ruling factor in our heart. So the question is, will creator or creation rule hearts? And when creation takes the place of rulership, it's got you. Sex and power got you when they take that main spot of desire in your heart. 
Paul Tripp says it this way. When the pleasures of sex exercise more control over your heart than the will of God does, your heart has already stepped beyond God's boundaries and your body will soon follow. What controls your heart directs your behavior. Here's the problem. Here's the, the power. Here's what it does. And is there any rescue? I believe there is. And my prayer is that as you've been hearing this, that Jesus is beginning to stand up taller. Right even now, as you're hearing these sins talked about and exposed and the folly of them is being presented to you, that Jesus is even now beginning to stand tall. Among all of this, very simply, you know, the whole question of my neighbors ran out, you know, he, they always have random conversations. They sit down on their front porch and talk about all sorts of things. But they, they, they asked me one time, Jason, we're trying to name all the seven deadly sins and we can only get six of them. Can you tell us the seventh? I'm like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys talking about? And so we went through the list and they're just, you know, the whole thing of, well, if I commit one of these, I'm going straight to hell. And I want, to, I want to make very clear to you that just because you may be trapped in one of these or you're, you've committed one of these, it is not go straight to hell, do not collect $200, go, do not pass go, all of that stuff. You see, the problem with this all sin is sin is that that is a very true thing among the Protestant church. We see all sin is deadly. There are no kind of deadly sins, not deadly sins. You can get away with these sins. It's, it's, all, it's all sin. But we cannot undermine the consequences there are very real difference in consequences between sexual sin and a white lie not to hurt anybody's feelings. I can't take those away, but what I do see very simply is that sexual sin is different. And uh, if you'll read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, and this is Paul writing to the church. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that our bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as, the one, as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, so for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Did you hear the gospel? Did you hear it? He purchased you with a high price. Does the high price mean nothing to us? Because that's what's in question. Some of you are hearing the don'ts, and I pray that your eyes and your heart will not miss what Jesus has done in these words. Consequently speaking, there are differences in, the level, in, in sin. Can't take that away. But what causes us to stay separated from God in all of eternity is to choose our ways over His. You don't want Him here. You won't get Him in eternity. You don't want Him. 
That's what Jesus is painting this picture of. When hell is talked about, it is a place that if you don't want God here, you're not going to want him in eternity. Who's to say you're going to change your mind when you, when you breathe your last breath? A heart lived for oneself on this side, you'll get what you wanted on that side. And if there's a heart that's captured by the grace of God on this side, you get it on that side. That's the simple promise of Scripture. Now, for those of you in this morning that have been thinking... When this grace is presented, and when your sin is exposed, if your first thought is to run from God, you have painted a picture of a false God in your mind. I just want you to know that. If, when your sin is exposed, you want to run from God, you have painted a moral monster God in your head. Because in the scriptures, we see God consistently say, look, you're sinning, come to me. Look, you're broken. Come to me. Look, you're messed up. Come to me. So if your first thought is to run from God when you are in sin, you have painted a picture of an incorrect God, not a scriptural God. You have painted a picture of some God in your mind who is pleased by your moral uprightness or not uprightness. The scriptures paint a very different picture of a God who is ready for his children to return. Listen to 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So for those of you maybe that are sitting right now and the enemy is speaking the words of... There's no way God would want anything to do with you. For those of you in this room who are thinking, well, if people really knew what I struggled with, they would not want to hang out with me. May the cross be a picture that obliterates those thoughts. May the cross help you understand that all of Scripture is God at work in mess. And your life is not so messy for Him. But what it does take is confession to begin that process. The band is going to come and we're going to close. But I want to read over you Romans chapter 4. Listen to this. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work or non-work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Listen to David in verse 6. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. How does change begin? The power of lust is not so strong. It's that your affection for God is so weak. As simply heart-pointed as I can be. It's not that lust is too strong for God. It's just that your affection for Him is so weak in comparison. You know, I heard two weeks ago a definition for spiritual growth. Mark of a true spiritually growing person is how amazed by God's grace they are. Because they know their sin so well. The worship of God is the death of sin. 
Highland, would you please worship in your closets at home? You don't come here to worship. You come worshiping. If there's to be any freedom, it has to be because we've seen something more glorious than our lust. You are not a slave to your lust. If Christ be in you, he has cut out the root of sin, he has dealt with the penalty of sin, and he's given you weapons over the power of sin. Please do not buy the lie that you can't do anything and that you're just sitting and you're, you're done. There are times for accountability groups, workbook studies, um, meeting with counselors and sessions. But if all of those are what you're looking to to save you, you're not addressing the heart. And if you're going to someone and you are in that position right now and they're not addressing the heart, you need to find someone else to go talk to. Because the heart changes Mind changes. Actions change. Today, my, my goal is to not make you leave feeling good. And, and I've got 18 steps. My goal is to ask you to confess before the Lord that you're broken. And to know that there is a Savior who meets you. Why don't you guys stand with me? If you need to sit, if you need to confess, if you need to do that, I'd love for you to take your handheld devices or your scriptures and I'd love for you to open them up to Psalm 51. I'm not putting them on the screens because you can go there in this time. But if you need a visual place to fall on your knees, to, to repent, to begin this, the mess, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I do know that the pathway to freedom is not, hey, go get free, then run to Jesus. The pathway to freedom is run to Jesus and you find yourself more and more free. Highland, worship God. Jesus, we love you. There are no things, no things that you created that were to give us more pleasure than you. May we be broken over that. In your name we pray.